Well, as we get going today in this first message of the first series of 2024, I just want to say thank you to Dave. Thank you so much for speaking last week. Uh, we were down in Orlando. I ran my 10th marathon last Sunday, so I'm feeling, physically, I'm feeling a little bit better uh, than I was this time last week. Um, I am a little bit sick. I, I avoided the sickness for about six weeks, and it finally caught up with me. So if you uh, hear me a little bit nasally or anything this morning, uh, that that's what, what's going on. Um, but in my weakness, he's made strong. Amen? So at the end of 2024, I had a direction, or at the end of 2023, I had a direction of where we were going to be going, what I was going to be doing these, this first couple months. And I felt like God just say, like, that's not what you're going to do. I'm like, okay, God, what is it that I'm going to do? And God just brought my attention back to the book of Acts. We did it, I believe it was in 2019. We walked all the way through the book of Acts. But this time, I just felt very differently about how I am to do it. Normally, I will take four to eight weeks going through uh, a series, going through a book of the Bible, and that might mean that, okay, we're going to do two chapters a week. I just felt very much with this particular series that we are going to take our time walking through the book of Acts. Now, the thing you need to understand about the book of Acts is you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we look at those four, it tells the story of Jesus. But when we look at the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, Acts really tells the story of the early church. And all the letters, all the epistles, everything that comes in the New Testament really can fit in the book of Acts. So as we study through the book of Acts, we're really using this as a survey of the New Testament to really understand, God, what are you doing throughout the New Testament? You see, so often it's easy to look at the book of Acts and say, well, that was for the early church. No, that was for the church. That why would God say, well, these early people, they get to do this, but everybody else, you're going to be weakened in power until the time that Jesus comes back again. If the book of Acts says it, I mean, we're a church that we believe in the full gospel, that if this word says it, then God means it. And that if God promises it, that there's going to be... Uh, it's going to come to fruition. It's going to come to a fulfillment. So we're going to take our time walking through this uh, book of Acts that I've already written, including today, the first three messages. And as we're going through the first three messages, I haven't even made it out of chapter two yet. So this is going to take a lot of this year, but I believe that as we study through the book of Acts, we study through this, we're going to really have an understanding of the New Testament. We're going to have an understanding of who God wants the church to be, who God wants us to be. And so as we, we look through it, don't get uh, bogged down of like, oh, he's going to take a lot of weeks to go through one book of the Bible. No, we're going to understand the New Testament when we're done with this. Now, here's the thing that I need you to realize about this is Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote his gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And it basically is a two-part work. Luke was a physician who wrote down everything that he saw in incredible detail, and there is a good reason. Matthew, as we talked about a lot uh, at the end of last year, was writing to a Jewish audience to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. That Luke is writing to a different audience. Uh, we'll get into this in a second, but most likely it was an audience of one. Uh, but before we get there, would you go ahead and repeat after me this morning, Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple 
and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. We're going to set this up by first looking at the book of Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So the, the first kind of point, first major thing I want to pull out is who is your uh, Theophilus? Uh, I'll get that name right the second time. Uh, who is your Theophilus? The, the first point that we're going to look at is we have to figure out who he is in order for us to be able to kind of communicate of what we want to do and how we get to play that role as well. Luke is writing this message. He's writing this book to this individual. And we see, as he's first mentioned, is the most excellent. But we're going to see now that he gets referenced again in Acts 1, 1 through 5. And here's where it says here. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while standing with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In this recognition that the, the first book was all about Jesus and his actions, a shift was coming. All of a sudden, we're going to experience the fact that Jesus is leaving but he has something for us to do. Just because Jesus isn't physically with us does not mean that we just kind of get to go about our actions now. We have the, uh, the coming Holy Spirit that is going to dwell in us and with us. He's explained to the uh, Theophilus that something new is coming that he could be directly involved in. Luke invested his time and his energy in writing the Gospel of Luke. And when he wrote it, it would have been on approximately 25 feet long of scroll. Imagine taking the time to write 25 feet worth of writing to an individual, to somebody that you care about, that it's identified again to the most excellent. He seems to be writing this as a tract to, the, to explain the importance of an individual's life of following after Jesus. Now, there's a couple different vantage points of where uh, Theophilus, who he was. The Coptic view asserts that he was a person and not an honorary title. The Coptic church ex uh, claims that he was a Jew of Alexandria. The Roman official view is that Luke was addressing him as the most excellent, a form that's used throughout the book of Acts to address Roman governors. Some biblical interpreters have concluded that he was a Roman official who had been initiated into the church's teachings. Another viewpoint is this, that it's an honorary title, that one uh, tradition basically is that the Greek means friend of God, and that the book of Luke and the book of Acts were addressed to anyone that would fit that description, and that typically it was being written to an academic individual of the era. There's two additional viewpoints, that it was actually being written by Luke to Paul's lawyer. 
that some theologians break this down that when we start looking through it, it supports the claim that uh, using words like eyewitnesses, account, carefully investigated, know the certainty of things in which you have been instructed. The conclusion of the book of Acts uh, sees that Paul is still alive and arrested and awaiting trial. That basically Luke is writing this to prove who Paul is, why Paul did what Paul did. And then the last viewpoint is Theophilus, uh, that the scholars look at that Theophilus was Theophilus ben Ananias, the high priest from 37 to 41. That he would have been both a Cohen and a Sadducee, that it would have made him the son of Ananias, the brother-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the one that viewed Jesus and was um, the high priest during that time period. That he, this is the reason why that when we look through the account that we see Zach, uh, uh, Zacharias, the righteous priest, who had a temple vision of an angel, we see uh, Mary's purification, that we see all the different rituals, we see all these different things happen, and we see that uh, Caiaphas is not mentioned in Luke's gospel as to criticize his brother-in-law, and that we see an uh, intentionality between the resurrection, the literal resurrection of Jesus, and the uh, ascension into heaven as a realm of spiritual existence, because Luke is saying, hey, just because you're a Sadducee and you believe that the spiritual stuff isn't real, Jesus is who Jesus says he is. So no matter which one is right, and there's people that feel very confident on each one of those areas, realistically, it's an individual that Luke is writing to to say, hey, here's the story of Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus wants to impact your life. And when we get to Acts 1-1, what we see is the most excellent title has now dropped. A lot of biblical scholars believe that the reason why it no longer says the most excellent uh, Theophilus and it just identifies him as an individual is because the mission of the gospel of Luke was a success and now he was a brother in Christ and now he's writing, hey, now that you're one of us, here's where I want you to realize, here's what I want you to understand is now we get to do something about this. That this isn't just something that, okay, you believe that Jesus died for you, you're good. No, now that you believe that Jesus died for you and that Jesus accomplished his purpose, now you get to do something. And I think so often that's what we lose in the church is this idea of, okay, I believe in Jesus, Jesus saved me, okay, let me get to the end of my life. No, if Jesus came in and Jesus saved you and Jesus set you free and Jesus has done something for you, now because of what he did for me, I get to do something for someone else. That each and every one of us has an individual call. We have an individual purpose. And so the first point that I want to pull out of these first five verses is this, that every follower of Christ must take the initiative to tell people about Christ. Everyone. It's not my job. It's not just Pastor Frank's job. It's everyone. In fact, you've heard me say it oftentimes. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The ministry is going out and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. If you leave it up to me, it's not going to get done. But if we all do it together, how much can it multiply? Luke had taken the initiative to tell Theophilus all about Jesus, that Luke was a medical doctor who joined the Apostle Paul and his missionaries in Troas in Acts 16. So Luke wasn't there during the, the whole gospel story. He gets it from Paul. Luke wasn't there in Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4. He joined in in Acts 16. He began to experience, he began to see everything that was going on, and it changed his life. 
And when it changed his life, then all of a sudden I can't just be who I was. I don't want to abandon what my past is, but I'm going to start proclaiming who God is and what God wants to do. And Luke identifies himself as the least likely to do this. Because as far as we can tell, Luke is the only Gentile writer in the entire New Testament. And he's not this learned scholar. He's not uh, a Pharisee. He's not a Sadducee. He's not educated in those capacities. He is a layman in this new church. He is someone who in every other setting would say, I'm sitting in the pews listening to the person who's preaching. But now all of a sudden he finds himself writing this book of Luke and this book of Acts to be able to give witness to who God is. So we can't use the words, well, I'm not good enough to do this. No, he was a Gentile who got to write one of the books or two of the books of the New Testament. He got to be able to get something into the New Testament because God used him through the Holy Spirit speaking to him to communicate a gospel truth to somebody who needed to hear it. Now, let me give you a practical, real-world example of this. How many of you are familiar with the Heinz brand? Like ketchup or whatever, whatever condiments. That Henry Heinz, uh, the, the originator of the brand, had a zeal as a soul winner. At a revival meeting one day, the minister that was preaching turned to him and said, you are a Christian man, why aren't you up and at it? Henry Heinz went home angrily and went to bed but could not sleep. At 4 o'clock in the morning, he prayed that God would use him at his work, then went to sleep. At the next meeting of bank presidents, which he attended shortly afterward, he turned to the man next to him and spoke to him of his Christian life. His friend looked at him in amazement and said, I've wondered many times why you never spoke to me about it if you really believed in Christ. That was the first of 267 souls that he would lead to God. On that particular day, Henry Hines became Luke. And he started looking for the individual that he was going to tell the good news of Jesus to. You see, that becomes our problem so often as we start looking at it and saying, well, I can't save the whole world, so I won't do anything. When in reality, all we have to do is start and we'll be amazed at what God can do through us. That God has a plan for each and every one of us. And part of that is point number two from this first part of our passage today. Is that every follower of Christ needs to involve themselves personally with individuals outside the faith. Every one of us needs to involve ourselves personally with individuals outside the faith. And sometimes that's easy, sometimes that's hard. But here's the thing that I want you to realize about every church that is successfully growing and moving people from a spot of not knowing God to knowing God, is it requires individuals that don't know God. I mean, it's not a tricky thing. It's if everybody in the church always knows who God is, and we start getting more and more educated, and we start knowing more about God, but we don't do anything about it, what we become is a foot wide and a mile deep. So we know a lot about God, but we're not accomplishing anything. When in reality, if we could approach things with the mentality of saying, I need to be as wide as I am deep. And the deeper I get, the more ability I have to kind of keep pushing out the boundaries so that I can go and tell more people. Because the most, is, whenever you look at people that are the quickest to evangelize, the quickest to tell people the good news, it's usually someone that just met Christ for the first time because it's freshest to them. Now, you have a testimony. If you accepted Christ 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, I don't care how long ago, you have a testimony. 
But there's that ability that if we're not looking for fresh testimonies, that we're living off of what God did yesterday. But someone that just met Christ, that was just set free from alcohol, just set free from pornography, just set free from their issues, their sins, their past, their failures, their mistakes, they just walked into this new life in Christ. They're pretty excited about it. And guess what they have? They have a ring of friends that doesn't know who Jesus is and they want to go and tell them about Jesus. The more we get sucked into church culture, the more our core group of friends are church people. And while we can help each other grow, we lose the ability to tell other people because we start thinking, well, I've already told all my friends and I've already told all my family. Who else is there to tell? You got to go find somebody. You got to build relationship. Sometimes a relationship can get built in a moment. Sometimes it's a relationship that it takes a year, it takes two years to begin uh, getting that ground go. But when we look at Henry uh, Hines in that particular moment, here's somebody at the bank meeting that he knew and had talked to plenty of times, and they just looked at him and said, Well, it's about time. Like, why didn't you tell me about this earlier? And we have to look for those opportunities so that we can tell people about who Jesus is. And if we're not looking for them, here's the thing I can guarantee you. If we're not looking for those moments, we won't find them. But if we're looking for them, we can be amazed at how God can use us and move in us. The third point from these first five verses is this, is making an investment in an unbeliever's life can make more of an impact than you could ever anticipate. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke took the time to write a 25-foot tract, including all this detail of who Jesus was, and you today are still being impacted, impacted by his willingness to be obedient. If you've ever read the book of Luke and you said, wow, that, like, that really stirred me, that really moved me, that helped me understand who God is better, that helps me understand what Jesus did for me, that's because Luke took the time to write this gospel. If you ever look at the book of Acts and like, wow, that's what the early church did, I could do that too. It's because Luke took the time to record everything that happened in the book of Acts. Luke looked at it and said, hey, I've got someone over here that doesn't know who Jesus is, that needs a relationship with Jesus, and God tells me to write, I'm going to write. That's why in a moment like this past week where God said, hey, your church has the funds. I know there's other things that you might want to spend them on. You need to go and spend this money on this project so that these individuals, these 14 uh, men in a death row pod in Texas that you're never going to meet could meet me. Because how else are the funds going to get there? And when I felt that, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what that replication process could look like. Maybe all of a sudden it's someone who's sitting on death row in Texas that meets Christ that can ask for forgiveness of the uh, person that they offended and because they can ask for forgiveness and then all of a sudden that person's life changes and all of a sudden they start going off and God calls them in the ministry and hundreds or thousands of people meet Christ simply because of one person asking for forgiveness. I don't know. That's not up to me to dictate how the story goes. My, my purpose is to say, hey, who are people that need Jesus? Let me tell them about Jesus and let me walk in obedience because if I can walk in obedience, I'll be amazed when I make it to heaven one day and see the ripple effect that happens. Luke is not yet done receiving all the, the rewards and glory in, in heaven because his work here on earth is still being played out because we're still preaching what he wrote under the influence of the Holy Spirit today. And so what we can look at is, I don't know when God comes back again. I don't have the timeline. I don't have the magical date that I can pluck out and say on this date Jesus is coming back. 
But if you were to pass away today, what are you going to leave behind that will influence people after you've left? Let's be individuals that don't just say, well, that's up to the pastor, that's up to the church. No, he was a Gentile doctor who acted in obedience, and the church is still being benefited from his obedience to this day. Let's be individuals that would just do what God calls us to do. An example of this is in the Museum of Science in Chicago, there is a fascinating display. It's a checkerboard that is blown up big and placed on a table. In the lower left-hand square, the first square of the board is one wheat seed that's glued into place. There's two seeds on the second square. There's four seeds on the third square. Eight seeds on the fourth, uh, four, so I'm sorry. One on the first, two on the second, four on the third, eight on the fourth, 16 on the fifth, 32 on the sixth, 64 on the seventh, 128th on the eighth square, and they had this stop because it began spilling over the sides of the square. And underneath, in front of the table, there is a bronze plaque that says, this is the potential for multiplication from one grain of wheat. We have to stop with the eighth square because it could not contain the numbers multiplied by the eighth square. Had we continued to the 64th square, there would have been enough wheat seeds to fill the entire subcontinent of India 50 feet deep. But we say, well, my little bit doesn't matter. No, your little bit actually does. That's why it's not a matter of how much can you give in an offering. It's a matter of are you willing to be obedient to what God has called you to do? Because all of a sudden when you have a multiplicating effect because everybody's doing their part and everybody's doing the job that God has called them to do, we can see a great move of God happen. That's why all of a sudden when it's a matter of are you in your word? Because if God can speak to you, then you can hear God and you can act in obedience. And if you can act in obedience, then you can do what God has called you to do. And when you do what God has called you to do, you can see this ripple effect that happens. When all of a sudden everyone in God's church is doing what God calls them to do, we don't have to wait and say, okay, God, you just need to come back because this world is just falling apart. All of a sudden, we can see something happen and change. Let's stop waiting for someone else to be the change that we can believe in and believe in the change that God's already promised us. It's up to us to say, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? I can't control anyone else, but I can act in obedience and I can walk in the truth that you have called me to do. Anyone who is faithful, available, and teachable can get on in on this. Every one of us, we just have to be willing to do what God calls us to do. You need to step up and be Luke so that your Theophilus can be out there and can meet who Jesus is. Are we willing to do what God calls us to? That leads us then to Acts 1, 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have seen or saw him go into heaven. And the main point that I want to just pull out of this is this. Go and wait. Go and wait. It's not just a wait here. It's this is what you are to do. You're supposed to go and then you're going to wait and wait for the move of the Holy Spirit to happen. You see, so often we're good at going 
or we might be good at waiting, but we need to get to where God has called us to go and then wait there patiently until God is ready to, to move. Jesus spent 40 days with them post-resurrection. They're starting to probably feel confident. These individuals had all kind of fled and went their own directions when Jesus is on the cross. Now all of a sudden there's a little bit of confidence building. There's a little bit of excitement. And you see this question of, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because he didn't do it before. He didn't do the way I expected him to do it. Now certainly this is going to be the moment that Jesus is going to take over. Nope. We can't force God's hand to be what we want things to be. And all of a sudden, they're told, like, nope, you got to go and wait. But when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. That you have this moment where they weren't willing to stand up. That we even look at Paul, not Paul, I'm sorry, Peter, who was the individual who denied Jesus three times on the night that he was crucified. That he's about to, in just a, a couple passages, He's about to preach in front of thousands of people and people's lives are going to be changed that he denied Christ to a young girl but now all of a sudden is going to be standing up in front of thousands preaching the good news of Jesus because he received power. And so from this moment until uh, what we'll get into and I don't want to skip too far ahead because that's not today's message but 10 days passed. We have those moments where a prayer meeting comes up and you say, well, can I pray for an hour? Can I pray for two hours? Or when is it going to come the, the, and happen the way that I want it to? Ten days happens where all of a sudden Jesus is with them. They're feeling good. Jesus says, hey, like, you just got to wait until you receive power from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you don't know what that is yet. But just wait. It's going to be pretty cool. And Jesus goes up in a cloud and disappears. And now all of a sudden it's like, wait, so what, what do we do now? Like, I, I don't know. Where do I go? What do I do? What do I say? And there probably is in this moment that they're getting prepared to have the most impactful experience with God probably since Adam and Eve back in the garden. Where there is this, this reunification that the veil has been torn, that sin has been forgiven, and they're about to experience God in a way that they have never experienced God with the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that they can speak in tongues, that they can be able to do incredible work. But here's the thing that I think is just so crazy in today's modern uh, church that we can fight and just get so bogged down on, well, this was for the early church. This wasn't for today's church. No, this is for the church. Because here's ultimately what's happening. When we jump back in time, back to the, the book of Genesis, we see the Tower of Babel. And so they're building a tower so that they can reach heaven. And as they're building a tower so that they can reach heaven, they're trying to do it so that they could receive their own glory because they say, look at what man can do on our own. And what does God do in that particular moment? He confuses their languages. Now we get this beginning part of Acts. What does God do? Now that God has sent Jesus, that Jesus has died on the cross, the veil has been torn, everything has been uh, fixed in that regard if we'll invite Jesus into our life, he unconfuses the languages and brings them back together because now look at what man can do when they have the power of the Holy Spirit in them. But we'll start looking and saying, well, well is healing for today? Is prophecy for today? Is the speaking in tongues, is that for today? No, it's probably for back then. We start discrediting the power of the Holy Spirit because Satan doesn't want us tapping into the full power of what God has for us to do because when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the power and the ability to go and do what God has called us to do so that we can go and be witnesses. 
That's the whole point of this. This is why we have to say, you know what, okay, Luke is telling his friend about who Jesus is, and he's doing this because he's already experienced the power of the Holy Spirit so that he can be the witness so that someone else can meet who Jesus is. We need to have that same mentality. It's not just go and wait. It's go and wait with the understanding that I need to go and do something about this as well. I'm going to go and wait until the Holy Spirit drops in my mind and my heart of what I am to do. And once I receive that instruction, I have to immediately go and obey. Because it's not just me doing what I want to do. It's not me going where I want to go. It's me doing what the Holy Spirit calls me to do to accomplish God's purpose so that people can be reunited with God in heaven for eternity. That's what it's about. Worship team, if you'll come forward. Here's what I want to do. We're going to stop uh, me preaching just a little bit earlier than I normally would. We have two songs, and I just want to take a moment. Uh, Altar's going to be open. Prayer team, when worship team starts, you're welcome to come up. Uh, But here's what I want to just encourage you with. If you're in here today and you've just, you you say, you know what, I've followed after God, like I believe in God, but I've just never been a Luke to someone else. God wants you to be a Luke to somebody. God wants you to be someone who would disciple somebody. God wants you to be someone who would speak into their lives. That it doesn't need to look like you're writing a 25-page track to, to somebody else. But what are you going to do to begin sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people? Because that's what we're called to do. And then ultimately, as the second part of this passage this morning that that we looked at, we need to be individuals that will go and wait, receive the instruction that we were supposed to receive, and then go and be obedient. We don't get to just say, okay, God, I really like this strategy. This idea is really good. But I want us to be individuals that say, you know what? This is what you call me to do. This is what I'm going to go and do. So church, I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to go into a time of worship. But if you need to come to the altar, let me encourage you to come to the altar and say, okay, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, whatever it is that you're speaking to me, I will be obedient. I will put you first. I will do what you want me to do. And if you need me just to be in a spot of waiting, whether that happens in a moment, whether that happens uh, quickly, whether it happens slowly, I'll be faithful to be obedient to do what you call me to do.